you have a Bible, grab it. Uh, open it up to the book of Ephesians. We uh, typically go uh, verse by verse through books of the Bible, and we're, I don't know, week four or five into uh, a series on the book of Ephesians. If you don't have a Bible, you can download a Bible app on your phone. Uh, we have Bibles on the table over here. You can take one. It's our gift to you. I encourage you to read it, follow along with us. As you turn there, just a couple of quick things I wanted to draw your attention to, a uh, little sort of family update kind of stuff. Uh, the first one is this. Uh, some of you have noticed, and I've been getting asked this a lot, uh, do you still work here? Uh, that's a question. Are you still on staff at West Village? Do you preach ever anymore? Uh, and the answer to that is yes, kind of. Uh, I do still work here. I'm not going anywhere. Uh, but one of the things that has happened since I got back from sabbatical, so back in the fall, uh, is I've only been preaching about 50% of the time. Uh, and that's not really going to change anytime soon, if ever. Uh, there's a, a whole bunch of reasons for that. And I just wanted to say this publicly so that people didn't have to wonder anymore. Uh, the first reason is because we think it's really important that uh, we create space here as a church to raise up other teachers and preachers. We have a lot of gifted folks in our church who can teach the Bible and preach the Bible, and we want to create space for them to do that. And the only way to do that is for me to do it less. And so you're going to hear lots of other people uh, teach and preach uh, over the next months and, and hopefully by God's grace years. Uh, second reason for that is we actually think it's really important for you to actually hear from other people. Because uh, other people are going to come, like if Matt and I read the same text, prepare the same sermon on the same text, it is going to feel very different. The, the core essence of what we teach is going to be the same, but the way that we flesh it out, apply it, um, you know, just, just kind of interact with you and the, and the, the, the content is going to be very different because we're gift, uh, gifted differently. We have different perspectives. And we actually think it's healthier for our church to have a more well-rounded um, uh, perspective on, on Bible teaching, the gospel, things like that. Uh, and, and frankly, sometimes I can be a little bit obnoxious and abrasive, and that's not always fun either. Uh, the last reason, though, is you know maybe the most important. Uh, if you've been around here for any length of time, you know that one of the things that we are really just kind of um, leaning into hard coming out of uh, COVID is like we are pursuing in very serious and real ways, multiplication. So like two Sundays ago, we did expression gatherings where we had a gathering out in Souk and a gathering uh, in Saanich and a gathering here in West, the West Shore as well. Well, this is something that we are not like stopping. Although you're, you're going to notice from this point going forward, we don't have formal expression gatherings. They're not going to be announced. They're not going to happen. But behind the scenes, multiplication and church planting is still happening. And something really beautiful happens when I don't have to prepare a sermon. I've, you know, I've been doing this long enough now that I've got my sermon prepped down to about eight hours, which is like one full workday. Uh, but when I don't have to prepare a sermon, I can take those eight hours and I'm able to invest those eight hours uh, in leadership development and church multiplication, which uh, is actually probably one of my strongest gifts and one of the ways that I can help serve our church the best. So all those things combined mean I'm probably going to stay at about 50%. There'll be some months where it's more, some months where it's less, but on an aggregate over the course of the year, about 50%. But here's what I need you to know. Every single Sunday when our church gathers, here's what, I, what our elders, our leaders are committed to. The Bible will be taught, Jesus will be proclaimed, and we will be called to follow him. So you never have to wonder or worry who is preaching, because every single Sunday it is going to be Jesus. Okay, Might have more hair or less hair, depending on who the human 
preacher is here, but that is what's going to be happening. So if you have any questions, feel free to ask. Uh, don't hesitate to, uh, yeah, just interact with us on that stuff. We want to hear from you. Second thing is this really quick. Uh, we still do online. So I'm, there's a video camera here. There's a video camera here. We're still doing online. But what we've noticed is over the last number of weeks uh, since, you know, I, I mean, I know COVID's still a thing. I don't want to say it's not a thing, but since uh, there's just been a lot less caution around it. Our online audience has waned significantly, which we're actually really happy about. We don't have a strong desire to do online church gatherings or anything like that. And so we are like wanting to begin the process of like not doing this anymore, but we didn't want to just stop. And so we wanted to just make kind of like an announcement that we're moving in this direction. However, uh, if there is a whole bunch of people who are, um, you know, still participating online and we're just not aware of it, then we want to hear from you. We, what we don't want uh, online to be is an excuse not to come gather with God's people. But what we also don't want to do is if there's somebody who, uh, for whatever reason, uh, health reasons or other, that actually needs uh, online in order to stay connected. And there are some of those people in our community. We just want to know if you're actually watching or not. <laughs> And if you are, then we can figure out a way to continue to serve you. We will still be recording sermons. We'll still be putting them online, uh, but we want to have a conversation. So I'm not saying we're ending it. I'm just saying we're moving in that direction um, unless there's like a huge backlash and a whole bunch of people let us know. Make sense? Awesome. Okay, Ephesians 1. Marina understands what I'm saying. Ephesians 1, uh, let's get to work here. So if you are familiar with the book of Ephesians or if you've been around for any length of time as we've been going through this, you know that the book of Ephesians is a letter that was written by a man named the Apostle Paul. And he wrote this letter, uh, not to just one church, uh, oftentimes when Paul has written his letters, so the letters in the New Testament, they were written to one specific church. But this letter, the letter of Ephesians, is actually written to a group of churches. So the Apostle Paul went into uh, a city called Ephesus, which is in like kind of southwestern, um, what at the time would have been called Asia Minor, which today we, we know is modern, like modern day Turkey. He went into this city, Ephesus, he planted a church, Acts chapter 19, we went through that for a number of weeks planted this church in Ephesus, uh, raised up a group of leaders. They started to express themselves as a church. They started to live on mission. And the result of that was people would come into Ephesus. They would hear the gospel preached and proclaimed. And then they would go back to their towns in their regions around the city of Ephesus. And then they would do the same thing. They would essentially multiply themselves, similar to what we are wanting to do here in our city. And new churches would start up in the region. So when the Apostle Paul writes this letter, this letter to the Ephesian church, it's not actually just to the Ephesian church. It's, it's to the church in Ephesus, but it's to the church of Ephesus in that entire region. So this letter is not just to one particular congregation, it's to a group of Christians. And the reason why that's significant, and, and you'll notice this if you were to read through the various uh, epistles that the Apostle Paul wrote, in like Corinthians, Galatians, uh, the Philippians, he addresses very, very, very specific issues that are very, very unique to a particular local congregation. Whereas in the book of Ephesus, he's, he's speaking much more broadly or generally. Uh, Alan Hirsch, who uh, is a, a writer and thinker, he, he describes the book of Ephesians like this. He says it is the constitution for the church. Because Paul's not just writing to one church, one time, one place. He's writing this as his best work on what it means to be the church. And the reason that's significant is because that also then informs for us 
what it means to be the church. Uh, Eugene Peterson, who uh, another pastor, writer, thinker um, in Vancouver, uh, was a pastor in Vancouver, wrote this about the book of Ephesians. He says, Ephesians is an inside look at what is beneath and behind and within the church that we do see wherever and whenever it becomes visible. So what we see here is the visible church, and we all have our own ideas of what's taking place right now. Right? But what uh, Peterson is saying is that what Paul is writing about in the book of Ephesians is explaining to us what is behind what we actually see, what the church actually is. It provides our best access to what is involved in the formation of the church, not so much the way the church appears in our towns and our cities, but the essence of what is behind the appearances. God's will, Christ's presence, the Holy Spirit's work, That is what we simply must get through our hearts if we are going to understand and participate rightly in any church that we are a part of. This is the only writing in the New Testament that provides us with such a detailed and lively account of the inside and underground workings of the complex and various profusion of churches that we encounter and try to make sense of. That's why we are entitled this uh, sermon series, Jesus' Handbook for the Church. Because we want to actually know what is this thing called the church that we are a part of, right? Most of us thought, I came here because I wanted to hear a sermon, sing some songs, get a coffee, a scone, and then I'm going to go home and get on with my week. And what the Apostle Paul is going to say in this letter is that's not at all what the church is. You, You don't understand. And and our hope and our desire as we go through this letter is as we understand what the church is, it will start to impact and change the way we actually participate in what it means to be a part of a church. There's so much more that is taking place here. All right, let's get to work. Ephesians 1, last week, uh, Matt, or was it last week or two weeks ago? Uh, They're all blending together. Last week, I think, uh, Matt hit the first uh, couple of verses, the intro to the letter. Today we are going to get through, by the grace of God, two verses Okay, Ephesians 1, picking up in verse 3. Here's where the Apostle Paul uh, starts as he jumps into this letter. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So the Apostle Paul starts this letter, and he starts with a, a, a sentence of worship. Now what's interesting, and, and this is a little bit nerdy here, but like you, you have to understand that the, the Bible you're reading was not originally written in English. So this New Testament was, was written in Greek, that's the original language. And so grammar and syntax is so different than in our English language. And if you actually go back and look at the the letter of Ephesians in the original language, the first 14 verses are one giant long sentence. So there's no punctuation, there's no commas, there's no periods. It's just this like one gushing long sentence. And if you go and read all 14 verses, we're going to take like three weeks to get through those 14 verses. But if you go read them, it's, it's a giant like worship response that the Apostle Paul's having. So the Apostle Paul likely didn't actually pen this letter, even though we would say he wrote it. He likely didn't pen it. Likely he was, he was speaking it and somebody else was recording it. 
And so the picture that we have here of how the Apostle Paul starts this letter is like he's just gushing with praise of God. Like there's something about who God is that is so exciting to him that when he he sits down to speak what he wants written in this letter to go to this particular group of churches, he just starts with this overflow of worship. Like it's, it's a 14 sentence, but in his language, one long sentence, gushing like oratory of praise to Jesus. Like he just can't stop himself. It's just flowing out of him. Really interesting. Really interesting that this is how he chooses to start his letter. And, and what we see when we look at what Uh, Paul writes here, he says, praise, right? Worship be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And now look at what he says. Why is Paul so excited to worship God that he just, he just like, it just, like, right? He just like barfs it out. This worship just comes out of him. Why? Look at what he says. Who has blessed us? He's blessed us. So in other words, Paul, he's sitting down or probably standing up and pacing back and forth as he's speaking this letter and he starts with worship and his first thought, his first thought, uh, the first thought that his mind goes to is God. He thinks about God. And when he thinks about God, the first thought he has of God is worship. Why? Because he's blessed us. It's really interesting. And that this then produces in Paul this desire to just gush with praise for who God is. I don't want you to miss this, okay? This is, this is really important. Paul worships God. Why? Because God is good. Paul worships God because God is good. The Apostle Paul doesn't worship God because he feels like it. The Apostle Paul isn't worshiping God because everything in his life is going just the way he wants it to go. He he isn't worshiping uh, God for any other reason than he understands the goodness of God. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. Now, some of you might be asking, I think there's an obvious question to ask here. Well, what if I'm not getting blessed? Right? I don't feel super blessed. I feel super unblessed right now. Well, I want you to notice what Paul says next. Okay, this is, this is important. Look at what he says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in what? In the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So, so Paul doesn't say God has blessed us with uh, you know six-figure income, paid-off car, white picket fence, 2.3 kids, and just everything that I ever wanted and more. It's not what he says. He's not talking here about an earthly blessing. He's not talking about earthly prosperity. Now, now I want to be clear, like we're not Gnostic, okay? So we think the earthly matters. Well, we think it matters that God, uh, you know, is involved in the everyday stuff of life. He cares about these details. But just notice here that the Apostle Paul is not connecting his worship of God explicitly to those things. 
In fact, he says very specifically, he has blessed us where? In the heavenly realms. In other words, yes, this world matters. Yes, the cares of this world matter. Yes, you know, like, like right now, like, I, I mean, I don't know if you feel this, I feel this, but there's this sense that like we think that in order to fix the world, we have to elect the right you know, group of people or politician into power. And if that happens, everything will go the way we want it to go. And it's like, we've been doing this for a while and that's actually never worked. It's like, and I'm not saying we shouldn't be active in politics or we shouldn't care about the things of the world. That's not what the apostle Paul is saying. But here's what he is saying. There is another reality. Yes, there is an earthly reality. And yes, we need to be present in that earthly reality. We're going to talk about that this morning. But there is another reality. There is a reality where Jesus Christ does rule and reign. There is another reality where he is seated at the right hand of the Father. There is another reality where, where he has all authority in heaven and on earth. And what the Apostle Paul is doing is he's trying to get you to get your eyes up off of yourself, get your eyes up off of this world, and look at Jesus as he truly is seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning in all his glory. This kind of Revelation chapter 19 picture of Jesus. And, and worship him. Like praise him. Because what Paul is saying is if you look, if you look just at this world, if you look at just the blessings in this realm, in this world, it's not going so good. Like, it, like, let's just be honest. It kind of sucks to be a human being right now. And if we connect how we feel, if we connect our worship of God to our lived experience, like I played basketball yesterday, so we're going on almost 24, I'm still sore. Because I'm old, and my body's breaking down, and I have less hair than I used to have, and I'm like getting chubby, and, like, and that's just like the superficial stuff. I could tell you some really, really hard stuff that I'm going through. And if I allow those things to inform how I feel about God, how I worship Him, I'm going to have some problems. There's a lie that is preached and proclaimed from many pulpits, many pulpits, that says if you, you know, if you follow Jesus, your life will be better, right? It's like this subtle, and, and there's, there's overt, but there's actually like subvert versions of the prosperity gospel. It's a lie from the pit of hell. Jesus, when he starts his public ministry, comes up out of the baptismal waters. After the Father speaks over him, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. After the Holy Spirit descends upon him. And what's the first thing that happens to him? Satan takes, well, the Holy Spirit actually leads him into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. I don't know exactly what to do with that. But here's what I know. If we're called to imitate Christ and follow Christ, I mean, his life ended on the cross, right? Yes, he was resurrected, but there was a cross first. And if we think that somehow, because we are followers of Jesus, we are promised this perfect, charmed, blessed life, we have, we've lied to ourselves or we've been lied to. And nothing, friends, listen to me. Look me in the face on this one. Nothing will shipwreck your faith faster than believing that lie and then getting a bad doctor's report or having a kid walk away from Jesus or losing your job or whatever. 
Because you'll think to yourself, all these years I've loved and served. I've done what I'm supposed to do. I've been a nice person. I've opened the door. I've helped. I've Like, God, you owe me. You owe me. I deserve better from you. And the Apostle Paul is saying, I, I worship God, I praise Him. Like it just pours out of me, not because everything is going great, but because God is great. He alone is great. And it's probably worth noting that there are many of you in our church family who have modeled this so well. So well. You know, as as one of the elders here at the church, and I know... I know the other elders and and other leaders in the church would affirm this. Like we have walked through some deep waters with so many people, like deep waters. We've prayed over people for healing and and God has not brought healing. There's people in our church family who, who feel like, even though they know this isn't true, they feel like God has been distant and far from them because some of the greatest desires, and I won't share them, but some of the greatest desires of their heart have gone unmet. There are many in our church whose children have wandered away from Christ. And moms and dads who feel like utter and total failures as parents. And their heart breaks and they don't sleep well at night. And yet, yet, they can say like the Apostle Paul, you can say, like the Apostle Paul, praise. Praise be to our God and Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Do you know what good news is to someone who doesn't know Jesus? It's not following Jesus when everything's going awesome. It's worshiping Jesus when things are really hard. And so we worship God, we worship Him, we praise Him, we sing songs to Him, even when we don't feel like it sometimes. Why? Because He's good. One more thing here that I want to just draw our attention to that the Apostle Paul says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with... Gosh, I could... Maybe we'll just do one verse today. This is so good, guys. No, we'll get, we'll get to the other one, I think who has blessed us in the heavenly realms. Look at what he says. Like, just, like, right, just read the words. This stuff just preaches itself, honestly, with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Just breathe that in for a second. You, friends, have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Isn't that good? Doesn't that mean like, like God is worth worshiping because he has given us so much? Like when you think about what has been promised to us because of the beauty of Jesus. And the Apostle Paul is saying every spiritual blessing is yours in Christ. Like your sins are forgiven. 
because of what Jesus has done. You no longer have to wonder or worry what happens to you after you die because of what Jesus has done. You no longer have to live with guilt or shame or regret because of what Jesus has done. You no longer have to wallow in your sorrow or your sickness or your pain or your sin because of what Jesus has done. On the hardest, longest, worst day that you will ever live, you still have hope because of what Jesus has done. You have an inheritance stored away for, for eternity in the heavens for you, promised, guaranteed to be given to you because of what Jesus has done. What else do we need? Well, I'd really like a raise. That'd be nice. You know, like an extra bedroom. It's like, what? And so Paul, he's dwelling on this stuff. He's, he's like just thinking, meditating, sitting with it. And it's just gushing out of him. I need to worship God. I need to. Because our worship of God is not rooted in our circumstances. It's not rooted in how we feel. We worship God because God is good. Amen? So let me just, let me just apply this really quickly here. What this means for us, and I, and I, I want to be careful how I say this, I don't want to say it doesn't matter how we feel because feelings matter. They matter a lot. They tell us what's going on inside of us. Like the other day, I'll just give you an example. I, I had anxiety. And what I'm not saying to you is you need to push through that anxiety and just worship God. But here's what I'm saying. I had anxiety about something. I felt it. I don't know if you know what that feels like to feel your feelings. If you don't, uh, I'm sorry. But I, f I felt the anxiety, and I said to myself, this is not of Jesus. How do I know that? Because I know what the fruit of the Spirit is, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. So anxiety was not in that list, not the, at least not how I remember it. So if I'm having anxiety, it's not a fruit of the Spirit, it's the fruit of another spirit, Right? Right. It's fruit of an evil spirit. It's the tempter coming in, causing me not to look at God, not to, look, not to, to fix my eyes on Jesus, but to fix my eyes on my circumstances. And my circumstances weren't going the way I wanted them to go, so it was producing anxiety in me. I had a moment where I had a choice. And I remember having this conversation with myself. Am I going to stare at this and continue to have anxiety, or am I going to do what the Apostle Paul is doing here? Lift my eyes up off my circumstances and worship Jesus. So when I say it doesn't matter how you feel, what, it, what, what I really mean is, despite how you feel, you have to recognize that, that you are now not in that moment staring at Christ. And, and there's a moment here for us when we come into a Sunday gathering. We wake up on a Sunday gathering, I don't know if I feel like it. You wake up in the morning, and, and I don't know about you, but I, I have a time in the morning, about an hour every, every morning, where I spend time with Jesus. And there's lots of mornings, this is really early, where I just don't feel like it. Like if I only did what I felt like, I'd be 400 pounds, and there'd be a whole bunch of empty bags of potato chips around me. <laughs> like that's, that's, what, that, that's what would happen. Okay? 
So sometimes we have to press through those things and keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And this is important as we seek to live as missionaries to our city. What's going to happen is we're going to come up against opposition. There's going to be opposition in your life. Just personally, you're going to face things. It's going to be hard. You're going to suck. You're going to cause frustration, anxiety, hurt, pain, hardship. Got to figure out how do we keep our eyes on Jesus in those moments. As we seek to live as missionaries to our city, we're going to face spiritual opposition. We're going to, we're going to have people think that we're weird. Uh, and, and some of you are, but for other reasons, they're going to think you're weird. <laughs> Kidding, I love you. But there's going, to, there's going to be opposition that we face. And here's what we have to recognize. That our worship of Jesus is not, cannot be connected to those things. We worship God because God is good. Okay, so that's the first thing that the Apostle Paul starts this letter with. He starts with, like, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. And then from this point forward, now he's going to give, like, all these reasons. Like, he's going to start to lay out for us, not every, but a a whole bunch of what those, uh, you know, heavenly blessings, spiritual blessings in Christ are. So today we're going to get to the first one, verse 4. This is what the Apostle Paul says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So in other words, here's what Paul's saying. Let's just read this all in sequence, okay? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing that is in Christ. In other words, we worship God, not because we feel like it, but because he's good. Well, how do we know he's good, Chris? Well, look at what verse 4 says. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So what the Apostle Paul is saying is we worship God because God is good. How do we know God is good? The Apostle Paul says, oh, let me tell you, he chose you. He chose you. Now, I know like in, in church circles, you, you say that and it's like it can like there can be like a hmm, I'm not sure how I feel about this. Right? What are you saying here? Like this is like eons of theological debate, right? Like the theological nomenclature for what the Apostle Paul is saying here. This is like the the theological doctrine of election, God's election or choosing of us. And, you know, like there's like 19-year-old and 20-year-old Bible college students who have sat around and and argued about, you know, whether we choose God or God chose us or or Calvinism versus Arminianism. Like, that's been like a thing, okay? We're not going to get into the weeds of that. Here is what I'll say just to kind of move us past that so I can get to the goodness of this. I'm just going to quote Martin Lloyd-Jones, okay? Here's what Martin Lloyd-Jones says about his theological position on basically everything. We just believe what the Bible says. Okay, so I I just believe what the Bible says. And here's what verse 4 says. For he chose us. (laughs) So I'm not sure what you're going to do with that. Oh, I don't like it. Well, I didn't write it. I'm just reading it. Take it up with the guy who wrote it. But here's the big idea of what the Apostle Paul is getting at. And I can't figure out for the life of me why anybody wouldn't like this. Because I hear this and I'm like, oh, thank goodness. God is the initiator of our salvation. He's, He's the first mover in the act of us coming to faith in Christ. Now, now I want to be clear about something here. This, this idea is not something that is unique to Paul. This is something that comes up many times in the scriptures. And, and I'll just say this too. It's not only not unique to Paul. That was an awkward sentence. It's also not unique to the salvation experience. 
So if you, if you just take a step back and look at the, the whole narrative of Scripture, Genesis to Revelation, here is what you are going to see. One massive, consistent theme is God is always the first mover. Like, go right to Genesis chapter 1-1. How does the book start? In the beginning... You guys got to read Bibles more. In the beginning, God. Right? There was nothing formless, empty God. How does everything come to existence? God speaks and it comes into existence. He is the first mover in creation. Adam and Eve exist. Why? Because of God's initiative. Fast forward into the nation of Israel's history and all the covenants that God forms with the people of Israel. Who is the first mover? It's God. He's the one who, who chose Noah. He's the one who chose Abraham. He's the one who chose the kings and the prophets and the judges. He's the one who first moves. Go to the New Testament and what do we see? We see Jesus. And what, what is happening there? It's God's initiation, right? He enters in. The Apostle Paul will say this in, in the next verse, which we'll, we'll get to next week, hopefully, where, where he says, well, you know, we were chosen before the foundations of the earth in Christ. In other words, before the foundations of the earth, God predetermined that Christ was going to enter into humanity. This is his, his initiation of relationship. And, and we have this notion or this idea that like we're like sitting around and uh, you know just being spiritual and thinking about spiritual things and we have spiritual questions and so we're you know we're asking Siri all these deep spiritual questions and Siri's giving us answers and I watched YouTube videos about how a good God could exist if there's evil and suffering in the world and I've just come to my own conclusions as an independent human being about the truth of the universe and the all the questions of metaphysics physics in there. I have decided for myself that I will now be a follower of Jesus. And the Apostle Paul says, nope. He chose you. He chose you. He chose you. Paul will go on in Ephesians 2 to say not just that he chose you, but that you were spiritually dead and he made you alive. In other words, it's not just that he chose you, it's that you could not have chosen him yourself. Uh, as one author uh, commented on this verse, he said, you have as much to do with your second birth, that's what Jesus calls the act of coming to faith in him, being born again. You have as much to do with your second birth as you did with your first. Right. See what I'm saying? Yeah, you kind of just got in the way and messed everything up, I think is what that means. In John chapter 11, there's this story um, where, where Jesus has this encounter with uh, his good friend Lazarus. And Lazarus, you know this story, I'm sure if you've been around, but Lazarus uh, is dead. He's in a tomb. And Jesus comes. Uh, he comes to the tomb, and there's a crowd there. They're mourning his death. He's been dead for you know, a few days. The, the old King James Version says that the tomb stinketh. Right, The body had been in there so long that that the tomb, the tomb stunk because there was this dead body in there. And um, Lazarus' uh, sister was Jesus' good friend, and they're weeping, and they're like, Jesus, will you do something? Will you do something? And there's all these people there. And, and Jesus comes to the tomb. He, he commands that the tomb be open. And, and there's this moment where he prays, prays to his father, and he prays, uh, God, I pray that this would be for your glory. He walks into the tomb, and he commands that Lazarus get up. 
Now, I just want you to think about this for a second, okay? You, you are at a funeral. And it's, it's like an open casket funeral. And you walk up to the front. There's all the people there. You pray and you say to the body in the casket, get up. Lazarus gets up. I mean, go, go when you get home this afternoon, go read John chapter 11. Like, it's kind of crazy because John describes this event and he, he, he talks about Lazarus still being wrapped in his, his, uh, his, his grave clothes. Like, these bandages are around him. Like, this is like a scene out of like The Walking Dead or something, right? Like, there's this mummified dead body that is now up and it is now walking. And, and Jesus then takes that, and in John chapter 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And it, it gets applied to Jesus about his death and resurrection. Right? That he has authority over, over the, like the, the physical reality of death. And that's true. But this is also a metaphor that is used many times in the Scriptures to describe what takes place inside the human heart when a person comes to faith in Jesus. He becomes a believer in Jesus. As I've already alluded to, Paul says in Ephesians 2, you were dead in your trespasses, your transgressions, and your sins, and you were made alive in Christ. And in the same way that Jesus walks into the tomb of Lazarus and speaks to him, get up. He walks into the tomb of your heart. He walks into the tomb of my heart and he says, get up. And all of a sudden you're alive. It's crazy. It's crazy. I don't know if you can think about... You know, one of the one of the um, one of the dangers of being a follower of Jesus, especially for a long time, is like you forget, right? You forget stuff. That's why the Bible is always like, remember, 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 because you forget. You forget about God's goodness. You're like, oh yeah, I'm here. I'm singing songs about holiness and this and that. It's like, oh, this is great. It's like, what? I don't know if you remember. What it was like when you met Jesus. Like when you met him. Like that moment where like you could see him. Like I, I remember. Praise be to God, I remember. I remember there were a number of different incidences along the way, but I'll just share one. I remember I was sitting in a room that I had to be in. And there was a guy that was there preaching. I didn't want to be there. I was not interested in Jesus. I wasn't looking for Jesus, but thankfully Jesus was looking for me. And this guy gets up and he preaches, and they didn't have cell phones back then because kids, it was a long time ago. If they did, I would have been on mine. But I was on the cell phone in my head, okay? And I was just not paying attention to anything that this guy was saying. And all I remember, I don't remember what the sermon was about. I remember the man's name, and I've reached out and told him this story. But I remember at the end of his sermon, he, wrote, he drew a line at the front of the room we were in, the chapel we were in, and he said, Jesus gave his life for you. What are you going to do for him? And I'm telling you guys, I had no interest in the things of Jesus. And in that moment, I could not not respond. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen, like, 
Star Wars or these sci-fi movies, right, where like the Millennium Falcon gets like sucked into the tractor beam of the Death Star, and it's just like, and he's like, turn around, I can't. Stop, I can't. Shoot him, I can't. That was me. It was like the Holy Spirit grabbed a hold of my heart and he dragged me to the front of the room and he shoved my face in the carpet, very gently though. And I cried and I cried and I cried and I cried. And I remember what I wrote in my Bible that night. 19 years old. I don't know what I'm going to do with my life, Jesus, but I'm going to do it for you. And something happened in that moment. I'll tell you what it was. He chose me. In Him, He called me. Friends, that's your story. That is your story. If you are here and you are a follower of Jesus, that is your story. You may have forgotten it. But that's your story. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus and you're like, that's not my story, know this, that you are sitting here so that you could hear this, so that you might join in that story as well. I want to just draw out like a couple of application points from this idea that God chooses us. And then there is one more thing I want to say that I think is really important. So I'm going to hit these really quick. The first one is this, and Paul has already said this, but this is why we worship, right? Because we were dead in the tomb and Jesus came in and he spoke and we were made alive. Like, doesn't doesn't that make you want to worship him when you think about that? Like, it feels really good to be picked, doesn't it? Like, 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 I've been chosen for a few things. Like, my wife, Kelly, she chose me. Like, it's crazy. I always tell my atheist friends, like, I don't believe in God. I'm like, well, I'm married to Kelly. Figure that one out, buddy. Right? And some of you are probably like, well, you know, question her mental stability, right? If she picked me, but she picked me. It's good. But there's lots of days where she's like, yeah, I'm done with you. <laughs> I'm kicking you to the curb. But God is never done with us. He chooses us, He keeps us, He loves us, He holds us. And some of you are like, I I never get picked for anything. I'm the worst. Everybody hates me. Nobody loves me. I'm a failure. I screw everything up. I suck. Remember what Paul said in verse 3. Praise be to our God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing that is in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus chose you. You're not who you think you are. Amen? Second thing is this. For me at least, and hopefully for you, this is deeply encouraging as I seek to live to be a missionary to this city. We've talked about this many times, but our our community group is trying to figure out what does it look like to saturate Spectrum Community School. That's the school where my kids go and some of us in the church here are involved and coach different sports. What does it look like to saturate that school with the presence of Christ? That every day, every man, woman, and child in that school, 1,500 students, 200 staff, would have a daily encounter with Jesus in his church through word and deed. When I think about that, I get overwhelmed. 
when I walk into that school as a missionary, I am scared because I know that most of the people I'm hanging out with are not just, you know, not interested in spiritual things, but in some of them, some cases are hostile and disinterested. I'm worried that if I say the wrong thing, I'm going to be told I can't coach anymore. I have all kinds of fears. Fear of rejection, fear of what people are going to think, all that. It's very real. But those fears are rooted in this idea that it's up to me to do this. And it's not. The reason that our community group has been fasting and praying every week and prayer walking the school every Saturday is because we actually know it's not up to us. And we actually look at it and go, there's no way we can actually do this. And it has to be a move of God. And here's what we believe. We believe that God is actually already pursuing people in that school. He has chosen some people in that school that they would hear the gospel and actually respond. So now I can walk into the school with a sense of confidence, knowing that it doesn't rest on me, but it actually rests on Christ. It's his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's his mission that is to be fulfilled. It is him who has all authority. It is him who will be with me till the very end of the age. It is not on my shoulders. It is not on our community group shoulders. It is not on your shoulders. Amen? And Paul writes this to Timothy, one of his apprentices in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10. He says, therefore, I endure everything. And if you think of all that Paul has endured, right? Even if you go to Acts 19, he endured a lot, but he got beat up. He got put in jail. He got put in, you know, like all kinds of really bad stuff happened to Paul. I am willing to endure everything for the sake of the elect, those who have been chosen, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with, in, with eternal glory. In other words, I'm willing to take a beating, a nasty email, have some people think that I'm a freak geek or weirdo by talking about Jesus because I know some of them are going to actually repent and be saved. Some of them are going to actually respond. And so my encouragement to us as God's missionary people sent to live as missionaries to the city is this, take some risks because it doesn't rest on your shoulders. If it works, it's not you don't get any praise, and if it fails, it's not your fault. So two prayers that we regularly have been inviting us to pray as a church. The first one is a missional prayer. God, tell me what you are already doing. And the second one is, God, how can I join in? God, what are you already doing, and how can I join in? Uh, a week and a half ago, I was in a coffee shop, a coffee shack over in Langford with uh, John. We were doing a coaching meeting. This is the kind of stuff I get to do when I'm not preaching, just so you know. And we're sitting there, me and John. And I prayed that morning these prayers. I've just been like, Jesus, I feel like I haven't been able to share the gospel with anybody. I just want to share the gospel with somebody today. Can you like just put something right in my lap? Like just something so obvious, please. Uh, and we're sitting in the coffee shop. Long story short, there's a gal next to us, and she's young. She has a kid. I don't know if it's hers, but she's on the phone, and she's just snot face crying. And so we're meeting, and I'm like, okay, is this Jesus who you, want me to, who you want me to bless today? Like, is this somebody that needs to know about you? Obviously it is. And so I was praying, and we were, I was trying not to eavesdrop, because that's just rude and weird, but John and I were meeting, and I'm, I'm like listening to the Holy Spirit, and she just kind of like vanished. Like she, one minute she was there, one minute she was gone. I saw her walk out of the coffee shack, tears streaming down her face. I run out the door. I said, John, just one second, man. I'm like, like guys, this is like, here. Whatever's going on in her world is bad news. Jesus has good news. Those two things need to talk to each other right now. That's kind of what I thought, right? Like, isn't that like how that works? Yeah. So I get up 
I run out of the coffee shop, stop her. I'm like, this is super weird. I know guy, older guy chasing the younger gal out of a coffee shop. I'm, I'm really sorry. I'm like, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. I couldn't help but notice you look like you're having a bad day. Can I help with anything? And she's like, oh, I'm okay. I'm okay. Like, you know, something, which is fair. Like, that's probably what I would say to a strange man chasing me down the sidewalk too. And I said, um, I said, well, listen, would it be okay if I just pray for you? And she's like, you know, now's not a good time. She's actually on the phone. She had her earbuds in. She was talking on the phone. She goes, now's not a good time. I've actually never had anybody say no to me when I've asked them that question the first time. And I introduced myself. She goes, yeah, I know. I've, I've seen you. I said, well, listen, I'm, I won't pray for you now, but I'm committing to praying for you every day until I see you again, because I come in this coffee shop a lot, because I like coffee. And, uh, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pray for you, and I want to bless you today. Small thing. Don't know what God's going to do with it. But I can't help but wonder if we take risks knowing that the mission rests on Jesus, knowing that he is the one who chooses, he is the one who is at work in our city, he is the one who's wooing the hearts of men and women unto himself. And if we would just be faithful proclaimers of Jesus and faithful blessers of Jesus, what might happen as a result? Here's where I'm going to close. I'll, uh, I'm going to invite the band to come up. Why does he choose us? For he chose us in him, in Christ, before the creation of the world. We're going to touch on that next week. Look at what he says. Here's why. To be holy and blameless in his sight. You know, when Paul wrote this, he, he knew nothing. What? Yeah, no, I think, I think I can say that. He knew nothing of church the way we know it. See, when we hear this, what you are hearing is Paul chose me so that I can be holy and blameless in the sight of God. But really what Paul is saying here is God chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. See, Paul, Paul's saying that when you were chosen, you weren't just chosen as an individual, but you were invited to participate in a community. The Bible knows nothing of personal salvation and personal holiness. I, and that might be slightly controversial, but, but I think it's fair to say. Right? Genesis 1, the picture of creation is that it's not good for man to be alone. The, the story forward is God reconciling a nation, the nation of Israel. The Abrahamic covenant is that through, through Abraham's seed, God will make a great nation, that the nations would be blessed. Jesus comes on the scene, and what does he do? He, he invites a community to follow him. And then what does he do after he ascends into heaven? The Holy Spirit drops, and what happens? The, the disciples go out, and what do they do? They invite others, right? And Jesus says, you know, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, come and be a part of something. Like it's insufficient to parachute in to a thing on Sunday for 90 minutes and identify like as a part of that. Like that's, like I just want to be clear, like I'm not, I'm not casting aspersions on anyone or judging anyone, but I'm just like, we have to recognize that there's something about what Paul is saying here. Like there's a communal nature to what it means to be the church. And then, and then this is where, where I really want to go because this is the important part. You have been chosen, you have been chosen in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In other words, he has chosen us together to be holy and blameless. What does that mean? Set apart. Now, I want to be clear about this. 
when, when Paul is using this language of holy and blameless, he's not just saying that we have been set apart from something, although that is true. He is saying we have been set apart for something. We think holiness means to be disconnected from the world. But when the Bible talks about holiness, it's talking about holiness within the world. We have been saved together, you and me as a community, to be God's holy people in the city of Victoria. In other words, the way we live, the way we love, the way we serve, it's a picture It's a picture of Jesus. We can't do that if we are completely separate from him. We have to, like Jesus, enter in, be a part of, live amongst, so that people can look at us, look at the way the church lives, and what are they going to see? They're going to see broken people. They're going to see hurting people. They're going to see messed up people. But they're going to see people who in the midst of their brokenness, in the midst of their hurt, in the midst of their pain, they're they're still worshipers of God. They're going to see people who bring good news to broken places. They're going to see people who live out the kingdom. And don't miss this. Don't, Don't miss what Paul is saying. That is why you have been chosen. That's why we're here. To bring good news to our city. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to bow your heads with me for just a moment. Um, there, there is a thread that is woven through this, and I don't know if you're hearing it or not. Just think back to Lazarus for a second. When Lazarus was dead, what was he able to do? Nothing. And it wasn't until that moment that Jesus walked into the tomb and spoke. Lazarus, get up. That he was able to move. The idea that we as God's people could be holy and blameless in his sight, be a picture of his kingdom for our city without first having heard his words washed over our heart, get up. It just won't work. So here's the question I want you to ask yourself. Just actually don't ask yourself, ask the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Am I dead? Not am I a Christian, not do I go to church, not do I serve, not do I do the things that the people are supposed to do, but am I dead?
Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you love us. You love every one of us so much. Thank you for that. You pick us every day, over and over again. You choose us all the time. Even when we're not looking for you, you are looking for us. Even when we're not loving you, you are loving us. Even when we are unfaithful, you are faithful. Friends, I just sense some of you need to receive right now Jesus' words, get up. so Jesus we thank you that you have not just spoken those words but you have gone to the cross in our place for our sins you have defeated death you have defeated Satan you have defeated evil and hell and every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies is ours because of Christ may we worship you because you are good. May we love you even when we don't feel like it. Take our eyes off of ourselves and place them on you, we pray. In Jesus' good name. And all God's children said, Amen.